Pulp MX Network production. You cast me, I'll complete me till What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. That's all we need is more fake news, Pulp MX bullshit. It's quality, not quantity. All right, man? Hey, hey, we are back with another episode of the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. Um, Very excited to do another episode. Really excited about all the sponsors. I want to read those things off real quick. BTO Sports, Fly Racing, Vertex Pistons, Vortex Racing, Race Tech, Suspension, Michelin Starcross Fives, Maxima Oil, X Brand Goggles, Pro Filter, Works Connection, Atlas Brace, FMF Racing, Roost Graphics, W Wheels, Guts Racing, Get Data, Firepower Batteries and Chains, EVS Sports, Eagle Grit, Motorcycle Industry Jobs.com, LA Honda World.com, OGO, and Ride Engineering all making this show happen. I am Dark Side from the Moto X Pod Show. And on the line with me, brought to you by W Wheels. If you want the best wheels in the market, you would go to W, ask for John Anderson, and they bring you tonight the one and only Swiss Core. What's up, Swiss? How's it going, Dark Side? It's going good, man. It's finally really cool to finally get a chance to talk to you. I, I hear you, you know, hear about you all the time on the show. You're kind of the uh, one of the masterminds behind a lot of the technical stuff with the websites and uh, the apps, I believe, right? Yeah, I like to lay low and uh, <laughs> kind of only be heard through Swiss Corner each week, and that's that's where I like to kind of hang out. Yeah, that's really cool uh, that you write some of those articles. Uh, I always enjoy that. It's something I've thought about trying to get into but haven't done yet. Um, also on the line, brought to you by Guts Racing, best high-performance seat covers on the market. Andy Gregg and Guts Racing are supplying uh, blowing that. Supplying seat covers for many of the top teams in the pits, and they bring you Mr. Blair Lively. What's up, Blair? Uh, a lot, man. How's it going, Dark Side Swiss? It's going really good, man. It's really cool. You are a, uh, a relatively new fan. I was talking to you last night. Um, give us a little bit of just a little behind the scenes of your how you got involved with pole, how you've discovered it. I just want to t- touch on that because you're one of the first guys we've had on the show. That's not like a, uh, a regular really, you know, you're kind of new to it. Yeah, man. Uh, I've probably been listening to pole for about a year now. And like we were discussing last night, um, you know, I, I grew up racing a, you know, not, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, um, a class, uh, Central States, Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma. Yeah. And really the the time frame that I grew up, you know, like I was telling you last night, um, we're getting to the end of the guys that I actually got to see at, at local races and at the amateur nationals, uh, Kennard, Tomac, that, that era of guys. And I kind of got uninterested because I, I hadn't seen the guys grow up racing i haven't hadn't seen any of their personalities or attitudes didn't really know who to root on because i didn't know if i liked them or not everybody gives the same standard thank you for this thank you yeah. for that thank you yeah. to my sponsors on the on the podium every week you know and i i kind of got out of it and really wasn't watching that much because i didn't i didn't feel in touch with any of the guys and, and a buddy of mine turned me on to a, a, a totally different a podcast in a totally different category but I just started searching around podcasts and 
found Pulp and started listening to it. And, you know, Steve does an awesome job of having uh, having guys on there and, and getting them more into their personality than you get to see just watching the races on TV. And, you know, you can kind of dictate whose personality you like yep. and who you don't and who you want to pull for and who you don't like. And, uh, you know, it got me back into it. And even with the, the fantasy stuff, you know, paying attention to – I know a lot of people make fun of the fantasy stuff, but it's got me paying attention to guys that I wouldn't normally pay attention to and, you know, on down on down in the field. And I, I think those guys deserve a lot of credit for what they're trying to do because it's harder than – than most people know. Absolutely. Well, it's really cool to to know that you kind of found the love for the sport again because of Steve and Pulp and, you know, the the cast of characters, whether it be Kiefer, who was in studio this week on episode 387, uh, Swizz, who does a lot of the stuff behind the scenes that makes it all happen, Uh, you know, Marks, all those guys, the, the Pulp family, brought you back to the sport that we love and that's really cool um so before yeah, we get man, started an awesome job yeah before we totally get started swiss how long have you been helping out with pulp oh, i'm sorry someone cut out for a second what was that oh, I said, how long have you been ho- helping with pulp oh man we're bumping up against a decade now nice um, it's been a bit <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, I appreciate the stuff that you do that helps a lot of the the stuff, you know, run that we don't always think about, whether it be the the websites or the apps and all that stuff. That's, you know, um, it's definitely stuff that I don't understand. And and you do a lot of that technical stuff. I know you do a lot of stuff for Steve behind the scenes and appreciate it. Let's get into this episode, though. Episode 387. Like I said, Kiefer and Travis Preston were in studio to begin with. Right off the bat, man, uh, they start busting balls a little bit, and, and they're talking about, you know, Travis Marks, Dune Goon, rides again, and he was Blue Crew. I don't know about you guys. I was pretty excited to hear that he finally got back on a bike. Um, I think Travis is great. Hopefully, he won't go Grenada Dune again. Um, what do you think, Swizz? You know Travis probably better than I do. I would. Um, what do you think? Is it good for him to be back on a bike finally? Oh, yeah. Travis was great. Yeah. Uh, most pulp uh, listeners, especially the super fan listeners, will probably be shocked to know that I have never, still to this day, met Moser. Oh, really? Uh, I did spend a couple nights with Travis when we went to Pastranas to do the whole backflip deal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Travis is is a definitely a great person. Absolutely. Well, I was like I said, it, it's pretty interesting to to go back and watch the Dune Goon video, you know, and then see the backflip that you were involved with, and, and you know, you, and, and you meet Travis, like you go, oh, this dude, he doesn't look like a moto guy, you know, you wouldn't even think that he would appearance wise be that guy. Um, Blair, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Dune Goon, but like, what are your what are your thoughts on him riding, and yeah, like, just your overall thoughts on Travis. Well, um, I mean, obviously, he does an awesome, awesome job with the show. And anytime you can get somebody that's been out of writing for a while back into writing, it's a good thing. I know Steve was out for a while too, and yep. and he's gotten back into it. But um, you know, it's just—I think it's one of those things, man. The older you get, uh, the more other things become priority. And um, but we all love riding riding dirt bikes, right? So yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, anybody that can. And can get drugged back into it and, and find that passion again. I think it's a, I think it's a good thing for sure. Yeah. All right. So the show quickly turns to Paula. Obviously, the most recent uh, Fox Raceway, the most recent national. Um, Eli has another one of his 
uh, stereotypical, come from behind, amazing wins. And, uh, you know, they're discussing whether or not this at some point, Eli just decides, all right, now it's time to go. Um, Travis Preston thinks that he just sort of gets comfortable after a certain point. Um, Swizz, what do you think about Eli? You think those guys are right that he's just kind of hanging back? His stamina is, you know, good to go. And at some point he's just like, all right, let's do it. I can't pretend to know any more about the inner workings of Eli's mentality (laughs) than anybody else. Yeah. At this point, it's like I'm I'm wondering if if he's going to be the first motocross or professional level supercross or motocross to come out with a bipolar uh, diagnosis or right. what is going on with him. But I mean, it's it's hard to say because when the dude is on, he's unstoppable, and when the slightest little thing goes wrong, it's like he just decides. It's not tonight, and it's not tonight in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that seems pretty accurate. Um, how about you, um, Blair? What do you think? Um, man, you know, I, I was listening to the uh, the pod today with uh, the uh, the post race interviews, and yeah, yeah, he says about uh, half halfway through the moto or whatever first moto, he was kind of hanging around. Uh, like he was at round one, and he, he was like, "What are you, what are you doing?" And just decided, "I got to get out of this rut," and just decided to crank it on. But you know, <laughs> that's uh, was obviously super hard to do. But you know, everybody always wonders what's going on with Eli when he's not five seconds a lap faster than everybody. You know, but I think it's, I think it's a little easier to to turn that kind of speed on outdoors. There's not what the consequences. Right. Uh, if you over, over jump, come up short, you know, um, I think I think he's able to do that. Where I think he's still a little timid to to turn it on indoors when he's not feeling comfortable. You know, I think he's Absolutely. a little more willing to hang it out, hang it out outdoors when he's not comfortable. Where he's not willing to do that indoors, and you know, I, personally, I don't think I, I don't think his riding style has ever really gotten back to 100% where it was when he broke himself off on the Honda. Yeah, to the shoulders. Every moto, you know, when he did both shoulders at the yep. same time, I, I just think he doesn't look quite as fluid on the bike as he used to back then. And if you get hurt like that, it, it, it sits on the back of your mind. You know, I don't care how good these guys are, how fast they are. Like, that's always in the back of your mind. And I don't think he's willing just to crank it on like that if he's not 100% comfortable anymore. Right. Um, so throughout the conversation, of course, uh, big topic lately has been Kiefer trying to make these couple nationals. Um, you know, it didn't go well at Hangtown, didn't go well at Paula as far as results go. Kiefer seems to be pretty okay with the, the whole reason he did this was, you know, to teach Aiden some things. Uh, you know, obviously he's a little disappointed, but, um, Preston kind of busting his balls a lot. That was very entertaining. Um, you know, but I kind of got the feeling that Mathis was a little disappointed in Kiefer, not so, not just in his results, but like maybe even in his effort a little bit. Um, he didn't seem, I don't, I don't want to say supportive as much, but he just seemed like he was a little bit disappointed. Um, Swizz, you know, probably Mathis better than, again, like, like Travis, you know him better than either myself or Blair. Um, what do you think? I think Steve came across as the most detached team manager in history. <laughs> um, a little bit, like, I would agree. Like, I was 
I definitely had high hopes for Kiefer. I know he's capable of more than what he showed. At the same time, having hindsight now, it's like he is the absolute worst guy to be put into that position there is. Yes. Think about it. He is he is a tester. His whole career is based around his analytical mind operating at 110% at all times, every day of the week. And to put him out there in a situation where you need to be able to compartmentalize and shut off your analytical brain and just go with it, it was it was doomed from the start. Yeah, and let's we'll jump ahead a little bit then because I have those in my notes. Later in the show, uh, they they talked about that him and Travis and um, you know at that point Aaron, Aaron uh, Mrozek was in from uh, the, who was his mechanic for, with MCR. And a lot of the stuff Kiefer was talking about was, um, you know, he just thinks differently. Uh, he overanalyzes. Uh, he's wired a little different, you know. And Steve, Steve kind of said, ah, "I don't think that's it." And Travis, um, Travis said the story should have uh, the story alone, the story of what he was trying to do for Aiden should have taken the pressure off. It's it's you know you don't know really what what. Kiefer's thinking in his own mind when he's out there, but uh, Blair, what do you think? You think that just you know what? Do you think Steve sh- should have been disappointed in him? Um, you know, and how how do you think Kiefer, with his personality, which he admitted later, you know, do you do you kind of accept that as a, a reasoning for him not doing as well as expected, as maybe some of us thought he would do? Well, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I've never seen Kiefer. I don't. I don't see Kiefer ride at these test tracks and stuff like like everybody else does, but judging off of how fast everybody else says he is on practice days at Southern California tracks, you know, I think we all expected him to make the motos, Um, but it would be hard, you know, and I I agree. I think it came across as Steve was a little bit bummed, and, you know, I think Kiefer's more bummed than he lets on. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, maybe. He, he may have never been a national champion or factory ride or this, that, and the other, but to even get to the point where he was in professional racing, you've got to have some, some drive and determination, uh, and and I don't think that gets beat out of you over time. You know, I mean, he no, did a good job of covering it up, I think, you know, and he said – he said the right things, and I'm sure he learned some great lessons and, and everything, and it was awesome, but I think he was way more bummed than he let on. And, you know, Steve being bummed, I'm, I'm sure he was bummed for him. Uh, I don't know how much Steve put in beforehand, before they went racing, but, you know, I mean, I don't feel like Steve had a lot of time invested in it. Right. Uh, I, I feel like if he was bummed, it was more he was bummed for Kiefer as opposed to being bummed about Kiefer. You yeah. know what I mean? So Yeah, a comment you just made kind of is something I've kind of been thinking this whole time is that Steve took the role um, as team manager. They made a big story out of it. But I did kind of feel like it was like it wasn't really high on his priority list really to put the effort in, you know, I mean, he did a few things, but even logistically, he didn't do some of the things that I thought he would do. Now I'm obviously not in his shoes. I know he's very busy with his actual job and everything else he's got to go. Got it. He has to do, but I was actually a little surprised and it sort of sounded like Heather and Chris were a little bit, maybe they were just teasing him, but it seemed like they were a little bit like, Hey man, you didn't do that much. Did you get that feeling, Swizz? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I definitely did. I think uh, I, I thought it was pure comedy when Steve kept on saying, we needed six seconds. If you would have <laughs> gave me two, then maybe we, we – like, he was – he was like a parent yeah. who's, who's all amped up for the kid to get into this new sport. And then when he actually shows what he's capable of, he's like, oh, man, I'm going to go have a beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he, he lost interest completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's very um, – that's that's right on point, I think. Um, I'm sitting here looking at my notes because I had something I was going to mention. Um, oh, okay. So Travis Preston, during that same point of the show – uh, like I said, if you guys aren't haven't listened to the Pulp Show yet, this is later in the show, but I'm sure most everybody's heard it. Um, Travis kind of gives them shit about you know your your home life theory screwed you uh, because he Kiefer was talking about you know like I'm thinking about Aiden, I'm thinking about Heather, I'm thinking about these things I need to do. I got to go to work tomorrow. You know, I have to do my testing to support my family. Almost as though Kiefer's whole theory that he's been preaching for like the last couple years. He just blew it out of the water a little bit. Blair, what do you think? You think um, you think that holds water? I think he's 100% spot on. All right. Um, being self-employed myself and knowing that if I go out and get hurt this weekend and can't work for a month, then nobody puts food on the table and, and nobody pays the house payment, I think he's 100% spot on. I, I definitely ride way more reserved than I did 15, 20 years ago, I ride at about 80% of what I know I'm capable of, and I never go over that. And, um, you know, it's just one of the, the older you get, the worse it gets. Yeah. I'm, almost, I'm almost 40 years old, you know, I'm 39, so Keeper's only got me by a few years, and uh, I definitely know for a fact that I've dealt with the same thing that Preston was talking about. Okay. Um all right, so they they discuss track prep at some point. That's a big discussion. Uh, tracks are usually in the last few years discs very deep, lots of ruts, almost like a slot car track. Um, you know, Steve says this week at Paula they didn't disc it as deep, and he feels like the track should lighten up on their prep. Makes for better racing because you don't get stuck in those ruts. Um, you know, Preston disagreed. He wants to separate. You know, he wants. As a racer himself, he wants to be able to separate from those guys that maybe aren't as good in the ruts that don't have as much talent. Blair, you're uh, you know you're an ex A rider basically. Uh, you know you rode with some high level guys. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think about the track prep? Is Steve right or is Preston right? Man, I, from a rider's perspective, I've got to go with Preston. You know, um, of course, I'm I'm from Arkansas, I raced Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, yep. and we have awesome dirt with massive ruts everywhere and 20 different lines going into every corner at, at big races. And that's what I grew up on. And I, I, I couldn't rock with no ruts and flat tracking around the corners. And, you know, uh, so yeah. just from that, I mean, that, that I'm kind of biased. Okay. I, I have to agree with Preston on that just because of the way I grew up riding and what I, prefer to ride you know? right and and uh swizz same topic you know Kiefer also had, he says he thinks having some ruts makes for better racing um what are your thoughts what do you think from watching the races you know just take the first two rounds what do you think which one was better well i'm a hangtown hater i don't like that track at <laughs> okay. all um anyway but i i i'm a big fit. preston blair and Kiefer. i agree with all of them in that if i were riding it i would for sure prep prefer to have it the tracks prepped 
as they typically are. Mm-hmm. But as a fan, I want to see these guys on different terrains. I want to see them have to broaden their skill set and work on any type of terrain. So to see the dust even coming off the tires on the on the landings of the jumps and stuff this weekend, I I honestly missed it. It's, it wasn't as bad as back in the, the 90s and stuff when you could barely make out the riders because there's so <laughs> right, much stuff. Right, right. I thought it was great. I would love to see... I would love to see every stop on the calendar this year show what that kind of native track is like without all the all the man-made stuff and kind of solutions to to get a better track surface for the racers. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, that it, and it's always there's always going to be obviously difference of opinions. You know, as somebody that's not like I'm 43, I'm a slow vet. I don't love the ruts. Um, I'm not that technically uh, proficient necessarily i mean i can do ruts but you know i i kind of prefer the track first thing in the morning when it's like a brownie and everything's just perfect but uh you know i I understand those elite riders wanting something that separates them from the maybe less talented it's uh, always going to be an interesting conversation a lot of good guests on episode 387 cooper webb was the first big guest of the night before he comes on there's a conversation about cooper um Steve talks about, you know, with, with Travis in studio who works for Yamaha, just discussing how Cooper leaves Yamaha, goes to KTM, and instantly he seems like he's just a totally different rider. Um, he asked Travis what his take on that whole situation was, and Travis says, well, there's other factors. You know, it might have been his last chance. Like, if he didn't have a good season, it could have been over. Uh, Alden, with the new tr- having the new training program, certainly helps a ton. Um at which point Steve says he feels like it's probably 55% bike, 45% Alden. Um, Blair, again, you, you have some his, some background in racing at a high level. What are your thoughts on the Cooper Webb uh, overnight almost transformation? Man, that's hard to say. Um, you know, everybody talks about the, the Yamaha being better for the taller riders, and obviously he's, he's a shorter rider. Yes. And everybody knows that Roger will do whatever he can to make the rider comfortable on the bike. Um, but I think when it boils down to it, I think it's about 80% mental, 20% anything else. Okay. You know what I mean? So um, uh, I just don't buy all this. Well, we made an adjustment this way. We made an adjustment that way. I mean, I think these guys are at the top level of the sport, and if they want to twist the throttle, they can twist the throttle, and if they don't, they don't. But I don't I don't believe for a second that you've got to have two clicks softer on right. compression setting on the rear shock yeah, to yeah. make that rider. That, I mean, they didn't grow up like that. They grew up <laughs> riding whatever they had, if they even set the stag, and just riding the wheels off of it. You know what I mean? So, That's a good point. I think, yeah. it's more, I, think, I think it's more mental than anything honestly right and then swiz during the follow up with that topic uh steve says to travis you know hey this doesn't look good for us meaning the blue crew um do you really i know that's sort of a joke but do you think anybody that really knows the sport actually thinks oh the yamaha must be a crappy bike because justin barsha because cooper didn't do super well on it well you know barsha's back on it but originally he didn't seem to love it um, you know, Chad had, didn't like it for a little while. Do you do you think that holds any water with the the average rider, the the fan? I don't think so. I think most people do 
I think it's kind of undeniable that that bike is better suited to longer framed riders. Um, and it's just, I mean, that's been the deal since the 2010 came out. Wasn't that the, the first iteration of this, this design? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it had a, it had a real bad rep for those first few years. Um, but even when it had a bad rep for those first few years when people weren't really able to figure it out, even then guys like Davey Millsaps and stuff who got on it earlier, they, they gelled with it and it worked for them. And I think that's kind of gone all along with this Yamaha 450 iteration ever since it came out. I think it's pretty well known. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Okay. So then Cooper Webb comes on, um, like I said, first big guest of the night, Cooper, I, I always love having the chance to interview him myself. I love when Steve talks to him. Um, the guy doesn't really pull any punches. We all know that. Uh, he, he came out swinging with Kiefer when they discussed uh, Webb kind of getting into Kiefer during uh, qualifying. And he, he made the comment. He said, well, Chris was going had to go all the way off the track to hit the step up at Hangtown last week, which that made me laugh out loud pretty funny. Uh, I, I like the ball busting when it's in fun. Um, just overall thoughts, Blair, what do you think about Cooper as an interview? The fact that he is very honest, he says what's on his mind, even if it might not be the best thing like for his PR to, uh, want to hear him say. Well, I dig it, man. Um, and honestly, it's the whole show with Cooper being on there has, has kind of won me over to his side a little bit. I'm still still not full on there and okay. still a little reserved because I don't want to jump on the Cooper Webb bandwagon just because he won a Supercross championship this year. But to be honest, back when uh, him and Bowers were taking each other out every other weekend on 250s, I didn't really care for him. You know, I, agree. I thought he was, I thought he was a, a little cocky and um, I, I thought he liked to dish it out, but he got pissed uh, when, when it got dished back to him and I didn't really care for him at all. You know, and and even this year, some of the comments he's made on the podium, I've been kind of like, ah, guy. But you know, when you get him out of that setting, off the podium, and and on the pulp show, just being himself, he's kind of won me over a little bit. Yeah, I I want to I want to comment on that in a second. But something that you said a minute ago, just talking about hearing these guys on pulp. What is it for you as a relatively new listener, only a year, that Steve does that you think makes like is is why is he better than most other people doing interviews? What is it that makes you feel that way? Is it, I mean, what what is kind of tell me why you like what how Steve handles an interview? Well, I feel like he's he's not scared to ask the question a, and uh, you know b he's not he's not scared to give his opinion either, which gets him in trouble sometimes. Yeah, um, but. That's what guys like myself want to hear. You know, I want to hear it told how it is. Even if I don't agree with what Steve's saying, I mean, there's plenty of times that I don't agree with what he's saying, but he says what he's thinking, whether you like it or whether you don't. So I think that's what, what kind of sets him apart, you know. I mean, some yeah. people, uh, a lot of people tiptoe around trying not to say the wrong thing, and he doesn't. I, I admittedly, I mean, I do that to some degree. You know, I I, um, I don't have the balls that Steve does when it comes to doing this. And um, being a relatively new show with our show, the Moto X Pod show, like I don't want these guys to not want to talk to us, you know. And I do sometimes have that fear, you know. And when I ask questions that are somewhat 
quote unquote controversial, I'm always like, oh shit, is this going to come back and bite us in the ass? But yeah, Steve does not care. And I think that's why a lot, well, I shouldn't say he doesn't care. He probably does care to some degree, but he has enough respect for the sport and the industry to do it professionally. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Swizz, back to Coop. I, I, oh, I go would ahead. kind of say that uh, maybe he doesn't. I would. I wouldn't backpedal so much on that. He doesn't care. Um, I think there's a lot of Steve not caring that allows Pulp to do what it does and be successful in the the spot that we kind of sit in. Yeah. If there was kind of three um, three bullet points that I would say make up kind of the the Pulp philosophy. It would be a have a take. Yep. B, be entertaining, and C, do not take yourself or the sport too seriously. <laughs> that provides a lot of freedom in what Pulp is able to get away with, and I think that is also a big draw in what keeps uh, fans entertained with it. Yeah, that's that's really uh, very enlightening. You're right. That's pretty spot on. Um, so, Swizz, back to Cooper's attitude and his personality. Um, I somewhat agree with Blair there are things he has said or that I, you know, I don't always like his answers necessarily his responses. He is somewhat cocky. Um, his response to my question at Vegas, which was about AC, you know, the, he cracked, I didn't, I didn't love the context of what he was saying, but it was a really good quote. Um, what do you think about Cooper? You think, I mean, he's young, he's, you know, I mean, dude, he's full of t- testosterone. What do you think? Uh, Swizz? My favorite thing about Cooper Webb, I would I would not by any means say that I'm a, a like necessarily a Cooper Webb fan. Definitely not a super fan or anything. Um, I appreciate how raw he is. He is unrefined, unpolished. He yep. says exactly what he feels, and I might disagree with some things he says. I might love other things he says, but in the grand scheme of things, what I or other fans think about his opinions or takes on situations that he's involved with are irrelevant. And I just love that he is unrefined enough to say what he feels and come across as not really caring what other people think, because that's what allows that genuine unrefined personality to exist and, and continue to kind of develop like that. Like, like AC is, as as charismatic and refined as it gets while also being fully authentic to who he is, but it's just two different sides of the same type of 100% honest coin. Right. And you got to be able to appreciate both of those. Well, and something that's really cool, we're talking about Cooper, and then the next guest coming up was Michael Moseman. Total opposites in personality. Um, Michael is pretty reserved, uh, he's very intelligent. Uh, he's not your typical moto, moto bro, you know. Um, but Steve is able to handle interviews with both these guys, get information out of them, and make it entertaining. Um, it's just, you know, like, like I said, it's, it doesn't really matter who is on the phone with him. Steve knows, and I'm gargling again as I do each week, Steve has all the you know has so much information in himself and knows enough where he can talk to these guys and get really great information out of them that a lot of us no matter how many times we talk to some of these riders or hear interviews there's always something new when steve uh is doing an interview with these guys 
Um, so like I said, Michael Mosman came up next. I don't know if either of you know this or anybody listening. This was his first time on the Pulpomex show. Um, he, he had told me previously, I was actually texting with him before he went on, that he doesn't even know much about Steve or Pulp. So I kind of filled him in on some things that were going on with like Kiefer and some, he, I was hoping he would kind of bust some balls and, uh, he, he chose not to, but, uh, overall thoughts on Moseman just in his interview, uh, Blair, what'd you think? Uh, I thought he was pretty good. You know, um, like I said, he's, he's a little more reserved mm-hmm. and Steve does a good job of getting, getting stuff out of people, but, um, Altogether, you know, I mean, he's, he, I don't know what to say other than he's a little more reserved and yeah, he just, wasn't quite as uh, entertaining, entertaining as, sure. as, as somebody like Cooper, you yeah, know, yeah. but, um, and I'm sure the more he gets on the Pulp Show, the, the more he'll loosen up, you know? Yeah. So, one of the hot uh, topics with his interview, though, was obviously the second moto in 250s. We had the gate flinch, did it flinch or did it not? Um, so that came up and Michael thought it did flinch. Um, Travis Preston says, nope, didn't flinch. Steve says, no, it didn't flinch. Marks comes on, says he slowed it down. And, uh, he, he said it was foolproof science the way he, he watched it. And he said it did flinch. Um, Blair, did you watch it back? Did you pay attention really close and see if you felt there was a flinch? Do you, what do you, do you agree with the riders or do you agree with the media guys? I watched AC's GoPro footage, uh-huh. and I, I saw a flinch. Okay. Um, so, to me, it flinched. And it, it's it's very quick, um, but as a rider, you're looking for any sort of movement whatsoever, and you're dumping the clutch. Yeah, you know? so absolutely. You've got to really be paying attention to see that it flinches, but I saw it move. It wasn't much, but if <laughs> I'm sitting on the gate, I'm dumping the clutch. So, once again, Steve is wrong. We're gonna. I need to start keeping track of this. Uh, Swizz, how about you, man? Did you see a gate flinch? And um, you know, just do you think they should have restarted? Should they have red flagged it? Man, I've gone back and forth on this a few times. Like, I've pro- I watched probably four or five videos of it, and initially I was like, "Davy's crazy!" Like this gate definitely flinched. And then I watched another one. And I'd be like, well, yeah, it flinched because someone hit it. And then <laughs> right. I'd watch another one and be like, well, this is the other end of the gate. And it didn't flinch. I've, I'd gone back and forth probably four times. And honestly, I can't even, I can't, I can't come up with my opinion on it. It, it definitely did something to, to make people think that it was moving and that it was time to go. Um, I think the bigger problem is that, there were guys who had the mindset of this might get red flag. Let's chill out for a second. I mean, right. until you see that red flag, you got to go. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think a lot of those guys, like you said, they, they admitted, you know, that they thought there was going to be a red flag and that they thought that was, that really influenced the, the outcome of some of their, their rides. And uh, that's, that's unfortunate, but it's part of it. Uh, I was very surprised that there was no red flag just watching it. I thought it would happen. Um, Steve asks, he, he asked Cooper and he asked Moseman whether they would have rather raced at Glen Helen or Paula. Cooper said Glen Helen, Michael says Paula. And he, he, he was pretty honest. I mean, I thought it was kind of cool that he said that like, Hey, Glen Helen's got some scary stuff out there. Um, you know, you don't usually hear that from the big tough riders, you know, um, Blair, 
that's a little bit of honesty. It's not like the super open book stuff that Cooper or will say, but I thought it was kind of a little um, insight to Michael Moseman, just that he was, hey, he didn't love, like the big stuff at Glen Helen. What do you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I've heard a couple of other people say the same kind of thing. Like, they, they like Glen Helen, but the downhill scares the piss out of them, you know? Yep, so that's me. Um, it, it's uh, it's refreshing to hear that from guys in their late teens, early 20s that are at the top level of the sport, and you you think uh, you, you kind of hold them up on this pedestal, you know, because they're so fast and you go out and ride on the weekends and – there's no way we could go do that, do what they do. So you just hold them up on this pedestal, but then to hear that they're scared of something like that. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it's, it's like, yeah, this guy puts his pants on one leg at a time also. <laughs> you know, I mean, ever, it's not like anybody is oblivious to that kind of stuff, but when you're sitting back watching these guys ride, you think that thoughts like that never even cross their mind, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's definitely something that when he says stuff like that, that's what I think. It's like, oh, this dude's human. Um, last thing on Michael Moseman, Swizz. Um, so Steve says that he feels like Michael got to a no, new level towards the end of Supercross. And again, you know, Michael kind of being somewhat honest, he said, man, I've been on it for a while. It just didn't show right away. So he feels like in the last, you know, before we really even started noticing it in Supercross, he was picking up on some things. He was finding a little bit more speed. Um Watching Michael throughout Supercross and hearing what he has to say, uh, do you think that's an accurate description? Yeah, I I actually think that Michael Moseman's an enigma. He's he kind of blew my mind on the show listening to him talk. He is way too articulate to be as fast as he is and race on the level that he does. Yep. It's, it's I was shocked. Like he he talks like somebody that went to college and and has. Way like Kiefer, way too much analytical going on in his head. He's he's way too keenly aware of things that most racers don't seem to be keenly aware of. And I just feel like that is a, a battle mentally in a in a racer at that level's head for them to stay on that level and then progress above to the next level, which for sure he's done this year. Um I'm baffled by him and his progress and Honestly, if he can if he can keep this up, um, and he, he's got to be great at compartmentalizing in his head the the analytical and the the, the kind of graininess of him, and be able to get out on the bike and then just compartmentalize and tap into a different area of his brain and shut that off in order to go as fast as he does and to be progressing the way that he is. I, I, I think that him being able to do that, he could he he might be one of the next front runners on a regular basis in the 250 class uh, moving into 2020. Yeah, I think that's coming. I love that you picked up on that. Um, Michael has become one of my favorite people to interview. Every round I go to, I search him out. Um, He is extremely articulate and very smart. And like his hobby outside of racing, one of his things he loves to do is play chess and study chess. He told me that, I think at Houston or Denver this year, and uh, you know, and you can see that, and, and just basically what you just said, he he is very intelligent, and he does think uh, strategically about the sport, about his moves, and about how he progresses. 
Um, and you know, it's only like, it's, I think it's only a second year in supercross. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you're a hundred percent right. I look for big things out of Michael and I really hope that Husky picks him back up for next year. Um, wow, man. yeah, so it's really cool. Um, all right. So next thing in my notes was the stuff about Kiefer, which we've pretty much already touched on. So let me turn pages here. This is, uh, not good radio, but, um, all right, here's a, here's a comment that I want or a question I have. Is it different? This is something that was discussed. Is it different when Travis Preston came back after being out of Supercross for a while than when Kiefer tried to come back? As far as Kiefer says, Travis was expected to do well. Um, so that puts a different pressure on Travis and higher expectations. But Kiefer, being the analytical one, he had so much pressure on himself, clearly. I don't know that it's actually that much different. What do you think, Blair? I don't think it's a lot different. I would, um, you know, to compare apples to apples, what was Preston doing? Did he have a day job? Was he able to go out when he decided to make a return, go out and start practicing motos and practicing what needed to be practiced? He's been there, done that before, and and knows what needs to be done? Or was he at his day job trying to get stuff, you know, like keepers doing his testing and things like that? We right. have every day of the week to go out and ride. Obviously, Preston made it to a higher level in the sport than Kiefer did, but they're both uh, both great riders, and um, I, I, I would need a little more insight as to what Preston had going on in his day-to-day life to actually make that call. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Swizz, what do you think on that topic? I think for sure uh, Travis's pressure would be a little more palpable than Kiefer's just because Travis had uh, kind of a standard that he had established for himself and a reputation, whereas Kiefer, everybody knows he's got Oreo and Aiden and Heather (laughs) and his testing gig and everything. Like He's got a built-in kind of eject button for an ejector seat for if, if, if it's not happening or whatever he didn't really have anything that was gonna I, I didn't really see any pressure other than the pressure he was putting on himself right. whereas Travis kind of had uh history and reputation and uh kind of exterior pressures whereas most of the keepers were interior yeah yeah good point um so I think it was Travis that says this next comment, Travis Preston, and I've heard this said a couple times in the last couple weeks. I think some fans maybe said it, some listeners. Um, As fans, we should should be happy with MCR. We should be more excited for the team. Um, You know, the the experience that they put on with Kiefer and allowing Mathis to be team manager should make fans more interested and, and like this team more. I agree. I think what they did was exceptional. I don't. I certainly don't think any of the factory quote unquote teams would have ever done anything like that. Um, pretty cool for them to for Genova to allow that to happen. What do you think about it, Swiss? I mean, it's pretty unheard of for a team like MCR to do something like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of mind blowing with the history that Steve has with Tony yeah. and even Mike Genova at times. I mean, over the time, over the years. Genova has really blown Steve out in text messages and stuff. And to see that they came full circle now to where Steve is actually running the team for a weekend is insane. And But at, at the same time, I felt from 
the first times that we started hearing about Mike Genova coming into the sport and the money that he was putting into it and kind of the ideas that he had and stuff that he was kind of simpatico with kind of the entire pulp ethos in that he doesn't want to do things like everybody else does it. He wants to kind of branch out and be a little fringe. And I think it was a great combination and it, it just makes so much sense for kind of the pulp way to be the MCR way, and I can't see how anybody would look at them in the modern landscape of how teams are run and not be like, yes, that's that's a great setup right there. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Blair, so one of the comments that was made, and I found this, like this made me laugh again out loud, thought this was a great idea. I wish they had actually gone through with it. Steve said that um, <laughs> he, he told McAdoo he should ride the LCQ for Kiefer, he said, "Let's get someone else to ride for you." Basically, is what he said. Uh, what do you think? That's that. I don't know if they would have gotten away with it, but that would have been pretty uh, classic. Man, I'm 100 percent on board with that. If Keeper's <laughs> as uh, fast as everybody says he is in a, a long moto and has the stamina to go to the, go the distance and and just get out there and ride and sit in his laps and uh, you know that. That's not outside the realm of something I would have thought myself either. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that they say McAdoo said he was in. That's that's pretty great. Uh, I mean, I wonder what that would have done if he had gotten caught. You know what the what the punishment would have been. But I guess we'll never know. Um, all right, so JT comes online uh, regular, obviously regular call-in guy every week, um, talking about the Nationals as as they do. Um, and he says people don't really understand what they're watching sometimes. And he's he's basically pointing out that we think it looks fairly easy to a degree. We don't realize how much rougher a, a national level track is on a national day. Um, and, you know how different it is from like when the locals go out and ride Paula Swizz. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I know you've been to some nationals. Uh, you've seen how the tracks break down. Um, and, and how unreal it is, I would have to assume you think the JT's statement is spot on. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's it's kind of this, it kind of branches across uh, other realms of sport, too. Like, we all sit around and watch the playoffs and, and games and stuff throughout the season, and we watch these guys, and they make little errors, and they're like, shit, I could do that. Like, yeah, what, yeah. what is their problem or whatever? But, I mean, it's no different with motocross. You watch a guy doing something, you're like, I've felt so awesome one day i could have done that but until you're in that situation with the pressure on and when it actually counts like he was even saying he, he would see the guys at the practice tracks and they jump in behind him a little bit and they want to test themselves and see how close they could hang with jt and maybe they could hang with jt a little bit but unless you're there in the pressure filled situation it is irrelevant yeah definitely um i, I can't i can't really say that I understand that, but I can definitely see how how that would be the case. You know, because again, I've never been in that situation. I certainly would not ever jump in behind an Eli Tomac if I was at the same track as them because it would make me look even slower than I already do. And I don't like that. Um Blair, would you agree also? Same thing? No way no way the average viewer can really understand. No, there there's there's no way they can, you know, and I you know, some of the guys say it looks easy watching it on TV, which <laughs> it looks easier watching it on TV than it does being there 
in person. Yes. But I don't. When I watch it on TV, I don't want any part of it. I mean, <laughs> I've ridden Gainesville after 3,000 bikes have been on it, you know, and uh, these these national tracks are rougher than that. And I see these guys going around them for 35 minutes, and I wouldn't want any part of it. You right. Know? So. Hey, I want to touch again on a couple of uh, Pulpamex sponsors. You, everybody that knows Pulpamex knows he has great sponsors. If you go to PulpamexShow.com, all the sponsor um, discounts are on there. Uh, but let's go with W W Wheels, Guts Racing, Get Data, Firepower, Batteries and Chains, MotorcycleIndustryJobs.com, LAHondaWorld.com, Atlas Brace, FMF, Roost Graphics. Just a few of the great sponsors that allow the Pulp Show to happen which also allows me to do the wrap-up show. Um, okay, so X-Brand Tear-Offs comes up next. Um, and I did not realize that the rapid fire was based off of you, Swizz, and how they, how JT said you, they perceive your, your accent to be. Oh, yes. This is a, this is a, a oh, man, such a long-running joke in our text thread. Um, kind of think that it was born from Pookie because Pookie used to make fun of me for saying rapid fire. Okay. And uh, I think that that worked its way to Steve and then JT picked up on it and JT still to this day always gets a text message from me thanking him for his dropping a rapid fire because he used to do it regularly and now it is uh, about as common as Christmas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I guess I missed that somewhere along the lines that that you know uh, and that that's pretty funny. I was when they said that last night I was like, "Oh, sweet, I got to ask Swizz about this." And I accidentally I I, sw- I jumped over Marchbanks. Garrett Marchbanks, Pro Circuit Rider was on uh before the X-Brand tear-offs. Had some pretty good comments. Um just talked about again about the gate flinching. Um talked Steve asked him at what the pressure was like at Pro Circuit and uh he says that, you know, he's just thankful to be there that the pressure really isn't that bad. Um, you know, he, Steve asked him about qualifying fastest and should, would that build confidence? That's something I want to ask about. So do you think at that level, Blair, if you qualify fastest, that actually builds confidence for a particular race, whether it's a national or supercross? Because I feel like those guys pretty much know, in my mind, it really wouldn't make that much difference because they know that it's just qualifying. When it comes to racing, it's totally different. What do you think, Blair? I think it makes a huge difference. Okay. I mean, especially for a 17-year-old kid, you know. Um, you know, if you're talking Tomac, Roxon, one of these guys that have been around for years and and done it all, uh, I don't think they they get too, too jazzed up about a qualifying time, you know. They know they're going to be there. They know they're going to be in within a half a second or so of, of the top guy and – uh, that half second is going to go one way or the other over 35 minutes. But I think if you're 17 years old and only got a few races under your belt and you come in, I, I think it boosts your confidence for sure just seeing on the timesheets that you were the fastest and you deserve your ride. You deserve to be out there with those guys and um, you're capable of riding as fast as anybody on the track at any given time. Okay. And Swizz, so do you agree with Steve and Blair that Steve does know what he's talking about and a uh, fastest qualifier is a big confidence booster? Yeah, like Blair said, especially for a 17-year-old. I mean, yeah, you come in there and, and you lay that down. Um, I'm a big believer in 
if you can do it once, that means you can do it multiple times. So why not? And with confidence being such the moving target that it is in this sport, in all the sport, but especially in this sport, I would say, to, to have that kind of, it's kind of like a tactile um, evidence that, yes, this, this confidence is mine, and you guys can all chase it out. Right. Okay. Good answers. I like it. Um, all right. So JT is back on the phone, of course, during the X-Brand tear-offs um, after Mark Spanks got done with his interview. Um, and he talks about the TV program, and he, he mentions that he hates the lifestyle segments during the race, especially when they put him up in the primary – picture you know the 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 race is in the picture and picture the pip or whatever they call it in the bottom corner and then you have this lifestyle segment while there's all this racing going on i totally agree with that typically during supercross i like the segments when they're in between races but in the middle of a race absolutely ridiculous in my opinion swizz thoughts i love this when jt brought this up and honestly for sure I, i don't think that there's a fan out there that would disagree with jt on this but honestly, my first thought was I would love for JT to, to not go to a Supercross race for a whole season and have to sit through every broadcast <laughs> and to really get – like JT would own the race tech uh, rant. rant every week because he would just be pulling his hair out watching these races and, and finding all of the things that are driving him crazy like most of us in the sport. But he's up in the press box for most of them, so they don't really bug him that much. Same with Steve. If Steve, was at all the, if Steve wasn't at the races and he's watching them on TV, he'd be just as irate as all these other fans that he's telling to shut up all the time on Twitter. Oh, God. Can you imagine? I mean, as much as he rants about stuff now, like the whole show, there, there'd have to be a whole new podcast. Like the Race Tech rant would be an hour separate podcast. Right. <laughs> uh, Blair, um, so, Steve, after being the team manager, um, Kiefer says the best thing about guys like us to get um, – I skipped something, sorry. Um, they're asking Steve about being a team manager in the future. Would he ever do it if, if he had an unlimited – a blank check, could, could hire a certain number of riders? And he kind of goes into the, some of the riders that he would pick and money-wise. I don't know that I believe Steve would actually want to be a team manager full-time. Um, what do you think, Blair? I don't know. He said he made that bet with JT, what, back in 14? Yeah, something like that. Is that what he said? Yeah. I mean, uh, he probably was doing it, doing the media stuff for pennies back then. I feel like he's probably making a pretty decent living at what he's doing now, and I seriously doubt he would really want the headache of being at every round all year long, supercross, motocross. Um, I know he loves the sport. I know he likes, he enjoys going to the races, but I also know when, when he takes a weekend off, he is more than ready to have that weekend <laughs> off. You know? Yes. Yeah, Whereas, you know, again, you know, well, I was about to say he likes to have his weekends off. Like this weekend, he's going to the, uh, the first Canadian national. Um, I don't think, you know, during, during the week, he likes to do whatever he wants to do, his mountain biking, his pods. If he was a team manager, I think that's probably maybe not less work or more not more work than what he's doing now, but it's probably a lot more structured than what he has now. Yeah, this this is this is an easy question for me. This all comes down to one thing. Steve is an entertainer and he wants to make people happy. 
bottom line. He couldn't fulfill that being a team manager. He has that's why he's still in the media, why he's had to pay that hundred dollars to JT, why <laughs> if, if if when that bet was made it was for two or three years from now. Steve is an entertainer. It's what he loves. He loves to make people happy and laugh. And I mean I think that's just supported even more evidence by the live shows that they do now at these clubs and stuff. Like like he lives for that and he loves to make people happy. That's all it comes down to. Right. Okay, so speaking of the race tech rant, um, we had a caller, Austin, that called in. His race tech rant was about the people complaining about the NBC Gold app. And I am 100% on board with this. Um, man, it, it, it's the best it's ever been coverage-wise, in my opinion. Uh, and the price isn't that bad. Uh, I think anybody that's complaining about the app is ridiculous. Just don't buy the app if you don't like it. Um you know, again, Steve talks about how it used to be so much worse when it was on Outdoor Life Network, OLN. Um, Blair, I mean, you've been around the sport for a while, even though you kind of lost interest in it for a little while, but you know that it used to be a lot worse than it is now. I think we are very lucky to have what we have now. Oh, we are for sure. And and I've got the app, and I live, I live out in the country and have terrible Wi-Fi and terrible cell service, and half the time when I'm watching the app, it's, pixelated and this, that, and the other, but it's still a hundred times better than waiting a week to find out who won. Yeah. So, uh, there's, there's always going to be people complaining about anything, everything they can find to complain about, but I think we've got it pretty good anymore where we can watch every supercross, every motocross live as it happens and know exactly what's going on at any given time, you know, and there's always, there's always better stuff that can uh, that can be done on the broadcast, and and if you want to pick it apart, you can pick it apart. But we're light years ahead of where we were ten years ago, and and I think people are just going to complain about anything they can find to complain about. Oh yeah, I, I've I've learned that in a couple years of doing this, and um, you know I'm not. Um like wealthy by any means. I'm my average guy. I, I live week to week, but man, I've got the NBC gold app. I have the GP app. Uh, I mean, it's just worth it to me. You know, I want to be able to watch these races and, um, I can't always be home necessarily when they're live. Um, you know, I, it's just, it's the easy for me. I can watch them if I'm on the road. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think I, there's nothing to complain about. If I, if I didn't like the app, I just wouldn't pay for it. Um, all right, so we're we're starting to run out of time here. So let's get to tweets at Travis. There were a couple that I thought stood out. Um, T- Tanner Hall, he he tweeted Travis about Chris Kiefer attempting the Nationals. Whether that was bad for his business um, of being a test rider, does it make him look less uh, knowledgeable, maybe or less skilled at what he does? Um, and, and Travis tries to explain it, but. I don't think so, but I know Kiefer, you know, fairly well, and I, I think I, I have a little more insight than maybe just the average person does. What do you think, Swizz? Uh, I'd say no chance because even though I went as bad as it did, it's clear that he didn't perform to his level, or his capabilities, and that's evident in that everybody is saying what happened. If it was just man, it just didn't work out. Like, you you couldn't do it or whatever. It would be different. I still don't think that it would be bad business for him because it's a completely different implementation of riding motorcycles. But 
at the same time, everybody is just like, you did not ride like yourself. We know that you're capable of more. So I think it's kind of a moot point. Yeah, you're probably right. And I think the people, anybody that would actually be asking that question doesn't really understand what he does anyway. Um, You know, uh, yeah, when you listen to his podcast and you listen to his technical stuff on suspension or on whatever, anything that he tests, he clearly feels these things and knows what he's talking about. He might not be the fastest 40, you know, 40, one of the top, the fast 40, but the guy has skills. He understands what he's doing and probably do, he probably could do his job better than a guy like an Eli Tomac or whoever you want, a Ken Roxon, as far as actually breaking down the subtle changes in a small, minute part. Um, yeah. So I think, again, you're right. It's a moot point. Um, okay. So there's another tweet that everybody had an opinion on. I want to get both your guys um, thoughts on this. What was the worst money to to result ratio, whether it be TLD with their hires, TLD, JGR, or HRC? Um, every one of the guys in the studio had a different opinion. Steve said TLD, Chris Kiefer said HRC, and Travis Preston said JGR. I could see a case for all of them. Um, Blair, what do you think? Worst money to result ratio? Oh, man. Um... I would, I would have to say TLD myself. Okay. Um, I love TLD. I love the brand. Uh, but I just haven't seen much out of any of their guys that showed a whole lot of promise this year. You know, I mean, at least JGR had Reed with uh, – they were getting some return on investment with Reed being at the Supercrosses. You know, even though he'll – even though Hill wasn't doing anything for the majority of Supercross, Reed was there and they were getting uh, a lot of attention at the truck. So, yeah, I, I I don't I haven't been overly impressed with really anybody on the TLD team this year. Okay, fair enough. Swizz, what, what's your what's your pick? Yeah, my my brain exploded a little when I first started thinking about this. <laughs> still, kind of reverberating around in my head. I mean, you could make a case for all of them because HRC has an insane uh, expenditure on the riders that they have, and obviously with Ken's injuries and his kind of comeback, he's not performing to what he's being paid for, but at the same time, I mean, his social media presence, his uh, the level of his fan favoritism um, is, is one thing, and then with JGR, like Blair said, they have Reed, that's huge too, but it's it's difficult for teams to justify those kind of social aspects when they need to be able to monetize what they're putting into those riders. Um, I would kind of say I agree with him that it's TLD because I don't know what their budget on riders is, but lately it just seems like that team is just reeling in terms of results. And yeah. I, I mean, even at a lower salary level for their riders, uh, it, it it doesn't seem to be working itself out anytime soon. I think TLD too. Yeah, I, I kind of went more long term. I think like from the the start of the teams, and I my opinion was more JGR because it just doesn't seem like anything ever works for JGR, no matter what they do. Um, for the you know as far you know yeah Reed brought a lot of fans into the to the pits and the his 
fan experience was really good for the for the pit area, but it just doesn't seem like they've ever had any good results for the most part. Uh, and Weston having his injuries, it just like it just seems like it's always a black cloud over that team. Um, okay, two yeah, more. Th- I feel like for the last probably ten years, as long as they've been around, I feel like there's a point during every season where I just say like, man, I feel so bad for the guys at JGR. It's so unfair. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, I, I feel bad every year, and I like those guys, and I would just love to see them do well. Uh, okay, a couple more things yeah. real quick. We're going to do our BTO hot takes in a moment. Um, the voicemails, uh, they brought up the FIM being a joke and Brock's suspension being um, drug out till February, so he can't even start Supercross um, at the beginning of the season. I mean, they're just FIM is just totally fucking everybody down every time they get involved, it seems like. Um Blair, what do we do, man? What what's the answer? How do we? How does? How should fail to approach this? Like, do we just drop them and get rid of them? I think we've got to, yep. man. And I, I don't. I'm not opposed to drug testing at all. Sure. Um, but I don't. I also don't see it being a huge factor in our sport. Um. Yeah, you might get a little bit more stamina. You might get a little bit more focus. You might, I mean, but when it boils down to it, there's nothing these guys are going to put in their body that make them twist the grip any harder than they already are. You know. Um, yeah, or or if they now, do twist like it, I, if they do twist it harder, they still got to be able to hang on and have the the technique and the ability to to get it stopped. Yeah, they and, still yeah. they still they still got to ride it. Yeah. You know? So, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to drug testing at all. Sure. But I think. I think everybody's spot on on uh, the water thing and 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 them having it out for the for the U.S. riders. Um, I do some mountain bike racing now, so welcome to Pulp MTB. But <laughs> there's a there's a guy, a USA guy that's that's won the Enduro World Series a couple years in a row, named Richie Rude, that is also tested positive, which I think it's a little bigger deal over there because you're pedaling the the bike, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's, I mean, it's been a year and. No, no, uh, no word from what on his results or, or what his uh, penalty is going to be either. So, I mean, if they've just got it out for the United States, get rid of them. We don't need them, you know. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think most anybody that loves a sport would agree. All right, so one more voicemail. This one is a big one to me. Um, should the U.S. basically boycott the MX of Nations? Um, Swizz, I'm I'm fully behind the U.S. if they decide to not send a team um, until things get you know a little more fair with scheduling and all that. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know that Steve's been saying this for a few years, yep. and initially I was like, eh, I don't think we should do that because I still love watching that race. But um, was it Travis uh, Preston that was making the, the argument for boycotting it on this show? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because when for, for some for some reason the first time ever when he was making his case to boycott and America is the draw and without America it's just another GP and stuff, I started getting my American flag wrapped around me <laughs> and I was I was all about it this time. All of a sudden I'm like, yeah, he is so right. Like, yeah, we gotta we gotta ink snay this race for a few years until they realize that without us. It is just another GP, and who cares? Right, yeah, and I think that was the actual guy that let the voicemail that was saying some of those points that, hey, we are, even though we're not doing well, we're still considered the stars 
uh, our team is not us necessarily, not me, certainly not myself, but the, the team is considered the stars and, you know, yeah, it's just another GP if we don't show up. So yeah, I think that's almost like a punishment in the long run. Blair, would you agree? Or do you think we should stick with tradition and go? Man, I'd have to agree as much as I love the race and, and loved watching it over the years when we just dominated it. Um, but it's been pretty lackluster for the last several years. I don't feel like we, we send our best guys, and if we do get our best guys, I don't feel like they're putting 110% effort into winning it. I don't feel like it means as much to them as it, as it did back in the day. And, um, you know, if we're, if we're behind the gun when we get there, we're going to prep the track like there are Euro tracks, and the guys aren't going to be able to ride the bikes they've ridden all year. And, uh, you know, it's at the end of motocross season where the guys have already rode Supercross and motocross, and they're just ready for a break. Uh, I don't really see the the benefit of it. You know, I mean, you're looking at guys like Covington, and obviously Lawrence came back this weekend and rode really strong. But it it shows that those guys just can't come over here and run with our fastest guys. Right. So I think there's a, you know, I, I definitely think it's been in favor of of the Europeans. Uh, over the last several years, and if we're not going to go and they're not going to cooperate with, with the guys being able to run their fuel or their this or their that, and uh, they're going to have to change their setup, and and they're already worn out and don't even want to be there, why, why should we spend all the money to go over there? You well, know? Totally agree. I think there's a good argument for that, and um, I don't know if it would if the, the entire U.S. teams would ever uh, agree to that fully, but We'll see what happens. Okay, so Kiefer's in studio. They always got to have Kiefer after dark. Um, I love the segment. I hope you guys like the segment. I just want to touch on one of the the the, the voice or one of the letters. Uh, the guy who called in or wrote in and said he just broke up with his chick. Um, she, she didn't like that he could do things without her. She thought that was kind of weird. Um, I thought this was interesting because pretty much everybody had a different opinion. Um, Kiefer says, you know, you need, you need to have a chick who shares your interests, um, but is okay with you going and doing things without her. And I think that's probably, in my opinion, that's the healthiest way to go. Um, Travis says, if she needs that much reassurance, there's probably something wrong. But interestingly enough, Steve disagreed. He, he thinks you should just be completely independent almost and do your own thing no matter what. Um, Swizz, I, I, I assume you're, you're married, you have kids. Um, so what is your relationship like in that? How do you feel about this? Um, I honestly remember listening to this, and I, my ears really perked up listening to Travis's explanation. I, I thought it was uh, real uh, insightful for him, the way that he worded, like, yeah, if she needs that much reassurance that something is wrong, she's damaged in her past at some point, you don't yep. really want to deal with that. I, I really agreed with that. And so I'm going to ask you a little bit about your personal life. You are married, correct? I am married, yeah. So when you do something that's like you have a hobby or she has a hobby, I mean, do you guys do things together, but then like, okay, I'm going to do this on my own this time. Everything's cool. Do you have that type of relationship or? or... Um, well, I have, uh, I restore cars. Um, I have like three other jobs I'll, that I do currently with my main work okay um so and i mean we've got four boys so you're um, busy they're all 
they're all a million miles an hour sports and stuff. So yeah, I mean, her her real uh, activities are essentially running the family. Um, <laughs> we both do that. Um, right. I cram in what I can, where I can. Um, I haven't had a bike in seven years, primarily due to the busyness of our schedule. Um, but yeah, I mean. She, she has no interest in my car restoration okay. stuff that I do. Um, yeah, she's she's real independent that way. Yeah, I'm I'm so, somewhat like Chris is, where you know I I go ride, and of course I've been doing some of this media stuff, and I love for my fiance to go with me. But if she can't, I'm okay with going by myself. What about you, Blair? What's your situation like? And, and do you agree, who do you agree with in the uh, in studio with that call or that letter? Well, I I think. Uh, you know, I agree with Chris as far as you You need to have a chick that enjoys doing some of the things you enjoy doing, but also does not care if you go do them on your own. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm I'm married, been married for 15 years. I've got a five-year-old little girl. Um, met my wife at the motocross track in 1993. She she raced back then. Um, she she enjoys mountain biking and stuff now. And if we've got time and uh, have somebody to watch the kiddo, she loves to go to go ride. And but you know, most of the time I'm out riding with my buddies, and that's my time. She knows if I don't get that time to go ride with my buddies and blow off some steam after two or three weeks of not getting out of the house and getting to go blow off some steam myself, she knows. I start taking it out on everybody around the house. <laughs> right, so she right. is completely, she is completely <laughs> fine with me running off with the boys to go on a mountain bike weekend or something nice. like that. You know, so I think I think there's a balance there, man. I think you've got to have some things in common with with your significant other, um, things you enjoy doing together. But I think you also have to have your own your own for your own friends outside of your your commitment and uh, yeah. You're right. Be able to go do that by yourself also, you know? Absolutely. All right, let's wrap this thing up with the BTO hot takes. Uh, Swizz, you got a BTO hot take for uh, any whatever, any topic. What you got? Yeah, man, this, uh, this is another thing that kind of made my brain explode trying to think of something. I don't want it to be too outrageous to where I was just kind of throwing something out there. So yeah. I am going to say, this, and this is not short-term either, I'm going to say Michael Moseman for 2020 Supercross Regional Champion, whichever goes to your races. Dude, I'm cutting that segment out, and I'm going to send that to him here in a little bit. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, how about it you, Blair? Be a great story. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. What do you got, Blair? Uh, and I don't know if this is a hot enough take for you or not, but I think Colt Nichols wins his first uh, outdoor race this year. Okay. Yeah, I, I see that being possible. That's a good hot take. I like it. All right, guys. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. Um, once again, I want to run through our sponsor list uh, because they make everything that Pulp MX is allowed to do. It, it, it just You guys have no idea how much these sponsors help out these shows. So thank you to BTO Sports, Fly Racing, Vertex Pistons, Vortex Racing, Race Tech Suspension and Engines, Michelin Starcross Fives, Maxima Oils, X-Brand Goggles, Pro Filter, Works Connection, Atlas Brace, FMF Racing, Roost Graphics, W Wheels, Guts Racing, Get Data, Firepower Batteries and Chains, EVS Sports, Eagle Grit, MotorcycleIndustryJobs.com, LAHondaWorld.com, 
OGO Bags, and Ride Engineering. Guys, Swizz, Blair, thank you so much. Uh, had a blast. I hope you guys did too. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us on, for sure. All right. Well, that is a wrap, and we'll be back next week with another episode. I'm out. Why would you want to re-talk about the Pulp Show? Yeah.